Bibles, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I've talked about this before, but when I was in Bible college, I had to take uh, classes in something called homiletics. And uh, that is, for for lack of better terms, is just the art the art of preaching. And the first thing you learn in homiletics is that there are basically three types of sermons that you preach. You have <clears throat> topical that uh, deal with a particular topic. Okay, like last month we talked a lot about missions, so those messages were topical messages. And then you have expository. Uh, messages and those are verse by verse messages where you started you know like uh, what we've done here in first uh, and second Thessalonians you start first Thessalonians chapter one and you just you just work your way through the book and then you have textual messages and those I've always kind of I don't know if I'm technically technically correct here but I've always looked at textual messages as a combination of both where you take a topic and then you preach, expositorily through that topic. Does that make sense? So those are the <laughs> those are your three basic types of messages. I prefer uh, expository preaching. And the main reason I do that, uh, and I preach this way, and the, re- the main reason I prefer it is because it does not allow the pastor to pick and choose what he wants to preach on. Amen, you know, because Paul says um, that... We are to preach the whole counsel of God, uh, not not what we not our pet peeves. Okay, uh, in Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty six and twenty seven, it says, "Wherefore uh, I take you to record this day that <clears throat> I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the uh, <clears throat> declare unto you all the counsel of God." And what Paul is saying there is, look, I, I taught you the hard things and I taught you the easy things, but I taught you everything. And when when a pastor <clears throat> preaches topically, he it, it, it tends it can tend to become hobby horse preaching, and that's never a healthy thing for a church. Uh, we should learn the entire counsel of God. And so, anyway, it'll make sense why I'm telling you this in a minute okay as we have worked our way through first and second thessalonians we're we're getting to the end here we're in second thessalonians chapter three and as as paul is winding down he's trying to encourage the church with a single thought in the last few verses here Uh, he at least in the way i i see it he's trying to Uh, help the church of Thessalonica understand that unity brings stability in the church. Unity brings stability in the church. In fact, that's the title of my message, Unity Will Bring Stability. Our theme this year is striving together. And uh, as I... Again, this is this is how God works. Sometimes, uh, you know, topically, or uh, I mean, expositorily, we're 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 winding down the year. 
we're winding down our study in 1st 2nd Thessalonians and the theme here is basically striving together unity brings stability let's start reading in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 3 in verse 6 <clears throat> Paul says, we now command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the traditions which received of us. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this command, uh, uh, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, walk, excuse me, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort you by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness, they work and eat their own bread. But if ye brethren be not weary and well, excuse me, <clears throat> but ye brethren be not weary and well doing. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would challenge us this morning with your word and help us, dear God, to be people that are. <clears throat> obedient and willing to sometimes do the hard thing. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. pray. Amen. This is a very powerful passage of Scripture that we oftentimes uh, misunderstand. So this morning I want to, I want to look at this passage and I, I want to uh, and I, I've been praying for some time now that God would challenge us this morning with our thinking. Uh, because <clears throat> unity will bring stability in our church. But before we really get into what Paul is saying, let's look at the first point this morning, and that is Paul's authority. Paul's authority. Because Paul starts off here by making a, 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 a statement, and he uses the word command. He says in verse 6, Now we command you, brethren. That is a huge statement. You know, he's not just implying that it's a command. He is straight up saying, this is a command. The word command here is a military term <clears throat> that, yeah, <laughs> that, uh, yeah, for Veterans, Veterans Day is this week, I believe, isn't it? 
the 11th, yeah. Um, so uh, we got a couple military, uh, Paul uses a couple military terms here, so it's appropriate. But it, this literally means a military order that has been handed down from a higher authority than the person giving it. Does that make sense? Uh, I, I know when I was in the Navy, we would, every day we would muster. Um, <clears throat> and those of you that were in the military know exactly what I'm talking about. But we would, we would all muster. We would all get together, our division uh, on the ship. We would all get together. They would, they would count heads. They would take roll. And then they would always read the orders of the day. How many of you remember those? Okay. <laughs> okay, they would read the orders of the day. And some of those orders would come from our, our, our chief petty officer, you know, the, the guy who was in charge of the shop that I worked in. Some of the orders would come from our division officer. Some would come from the, uh, the, the department head, if you would, uh, the, the repair department. He, you know, he was usually pretty high ranking, you know, usually a, a, a <clears throat> pretty, pretty high, a, a commander more than likely. And then you would get the orders from the CO or the commanding officer. And one of the things that I remember is the higher the level of the order, the more I paid attention. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? I mean, when the, when the, you know, when the, when your chief, the guy that you work for kind of gives you an order, it's like, yeah, yeah, okay, you know. But when the commanding officer puts down an order, it's like E.F. Hutton, for those of us that are old enough to remember that commercial. <laughs> when E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. Well, you know, <clears throat> that's, how, that's how the commanding officer was. So it's important that we understand Paul's authority here. So Paul very clearly identifies his commanding officer. Let's read verse 6 again. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Paul is communicating the command, but where is the command coming from? Jesus Christ. And Paul just doesn't say, I command you in the name of Jesus or in the name of Christ or, or our, our Lord. He uses all three names. Interesting. The word Jesus, I don't know if you know this or not, but the, each of these names means something different. The name Jesus literally means Savior or it, it was, for all intents and purposes, his human name. Like, my name is Rick. I don't know what it means, but that's my name. And that was Jesus' name, but it meant Savior. The name Christ is his divine title. It means, it means Messiah or the Anointed One. And then the word Lord is the word Jehovah God. So there is no question in the minds of the Thessalonican Christians who is issuing this order. It's coming through Paul 
but it is coming down from Jehovah God. This is a serious matter. And Paul then goes into what the command is all about. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Jehovah God. To the glory of God the Father. So as we look at the following passage here, we have to remember this is not Paul saying, hey, this is my opinion. This is Paul saying, hey, God said the following. This is a command from God. Jehovah God. So, let's look at Paul's concerns. Paul's concern. But in order to understand Paul's concern, we need to first look at the context of what is being talked about in verses 6 through 12. So, does anybody want to take a shot at what the context is? It's really pretty simple. Working. If you don't work, what? You You shouldn't eat. Okay? So he's talking about our labor, our working. So let's talk about this for a minute and understand where Paul's coming from because we live in a society today that looks at work different than, than the Jews did in this day. What does the Bible teach about manual or mental labor? Okay, uh, one, one thing is that labor or working has been part of man's life from the very beginning before sin. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So God gave Adam a job from the very beginning. And that was to work the garden and to guard it. That was his job. Sounds pretty easy. But then what happened? (laughs) I'm glad a lady said that, not a man. Uh, (laughs) Sin was introduced into the world. And now all of a sudden, this labor in the garden turned into drudgery. How many of you wake up in the morning and say, oh, man, I got to go to work? (laughs) Yeah, not anymore. Yeah, but how many years did you say? (laughs) You know? Yeah, but you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, man. No, no. (laughs) I thought it, well, you know, I, I heard a story of a man who was whining to his wife, and he says, he says, honey, I, I just don't want to go to church today. 
And she says, well, well, why? She said, and he, he says, I'm tired. And he says, and besides, nobody there likes me. And she said, but, but honey, you have to go. And he says, why? He says, because you're the pastor. <laughs> yeah. Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, it says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. Thanks a lot. Uh, In sorrow shalt thou uh, eat of it all the days of thy life thorns also yeah have you ever noticed how weeds grow faster than than plants i, I i've never been able to figure that out uh thorns also and thistles shall bring forth uh to thee and thou shalt eat the herbs of the fields in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground for out of it wast thou taken for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. God created work, and man made it worse. But work has been a part of, of man since the inception of, of Adam. Have you ever noticed that in Scripture, God always finds someone to work for him who is already busy. God doesn't find someone who's sitting around doing nothing to do work. What does he do? He looks for people who are already busy. Let me give you some examples. Uh, Moses was caring for sheep in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, Joshua was ser- uh, Moses' servant before he became Moses' successor. Uh, in Exodus chapter 33. Uh, Gideon was threshing wheat when God called him, Judges chapter 6. David was caring for his father's sheep in 1 Samuel 16. Our Lord called four fishermen who were uh, uh, to serve as his disciples while they were fishing. He himself, Jesus, was a carpenter. Paul was a tent maker, Acts chapter 18. And you have to understand in the Jewish culture, the Jewish culture honored those that worked and worked hard. To the point that they required all their uh, rabbis to be bivocational. If you don't know what bivocational is, it means they were rabbis on, on, on the Sabbath and then they would work jobs during the week. They, they, ha- they all had a trade. Working hard was something that uh, was ingrained in the culture of the Jew. In fact, it still is today. Some of the richest people in the world today are Jews. Why? Because they work hard. Paul was a Pharisee, but he was also a tent maker. 
working hard was something that was important to the Jewish culture. But the problem is, the church in Thessalonica, was it a Jewish church? No. Now, there were Jews, there were saved Jews in the church, but primarily <clears throat> they were Greeks. This is a Greek national church. And the problem was within the Greek society, they despised manual labor. That's why they had slaves. They had slaves to do all their manual labor. So you have a church here that is primarily saved Greeks that have a misunderstanding of what a person should be doing, and that is working. <clears throat> and you have Paul here trying to correct wrong thinking. The Greek, the, 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 that influence from the Greeks had bled into the church. And the Jews that had been saved that were in this church were starting to take on this ungodly thinking. Hey, you know what? We'll just get somebody else to do the work. Now, I want to stop right here, and I want to say something. Earlier, I talked about the, the three different type of sermons. And the expository, the topical, and the textual. At the beginning of the service, I made a plea for nursery workers. And, and those two things, that okay, <laughs> we definitely need nursery workers. But it had nothing to do with this message. This is God's timing. Now, I have a question for you. Is the need to work limited to the secular part of our lives? Absolutely not. It is just as important that we work for God as we do work for food. And Paul here is not making a distinction between the quote-unquote religious work to the secular work. It's all the same. And we, as believers, need to understand that we need to work for God and for food. It is how God, God made us to work. In fact, in the garden... When, when, when God created Adam and said, okay, take care of it. Was it so that Adam would have a comfortable place to live? Partially. But what would God do every evening with Adam and Eve? He would, he would come to the garden. So it was just as much for God as it was for him. So we need to understand <clears throat> that we need, that God made us to work and to work hard. Letter B. Did I give you letter A? Okay, letter A was, was uh, labor and working. Okay, letter B. Let's talk about division. Division. <clears throat> Look at verse 6. It says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of <clears throat> our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. Okay, let, there's a couple qualifiers here. 
Paul is saying here, he uses the word brother to identify who the disorderly people are. They are brethren. They are people who are saved, that are walking disorderly, and not after the traditions which he received of us. Look down at verse 11. Now we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. We'll get there. We'll get there. Now, Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. The division was a result of the bad example that the Greek culture had brought into the church. This, 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 this culture of, you know what, I don't feel like working, I'm just not going to do it. And it was causing division in the church. So Paul identifies and calls out this group, and he calls them brethren that are disorderly. The word disorder here is another military term that means to be out of ranks or out of step. Those of us that that were in the Navy uh, know exactly what it means to be out of step. Uh, when, When you're trying to march with a large group of people, all it takes is one person to mess everybody up. Have you have you ever watched the opening scene uh, of uh, Gomer Pyle, and he and he's kind of hopping like this and there? How the rest of those guys stay in step, I have no idea. But in real life, if one person is out of step, it's like a ripple effect through the rest of the company. And this this is what the word is. That's what the word disorderly means. As as one person gets out of step or out of rank, then it affects everybody else. In a nutshell, what Paul is saying here, I believe, is that this group, this disorderly group, did not care about the church, but all they did is cared about themselves. Because a person who is trying to march with everybody else and is not trying to stay in step, that's exactly what it is, selfishness. But the whole point of the military learning how to march in large groups is so that everybody learns to work as a team. And as we, as we got better in, in boot camp, as we got better as a group, it was, it was a lot of fun marching as a group. Why? Because we were it was like one person, not a whole bunch of individuals. The word troublemaker or, or excuse me, busybody. <clears throat> the word they were Paul calls them troublemakers and busybodies. Okay, disorderly troublemakers. The word busybody 
is not what we think of in 21st century English. Literally, what it means <clears throat> is those that are constantly fooling around and accomplishing nothing. How many of you know people like that? How many of you work with people like that? <clears throat> I, I remember one time, my mom, who's here, <clears throat> she probably will not remember saying this to me, but I remember my mom saying to me one time, <clears throat> boy, if you worked half as hard at doing your chores than you do getting out of your chores, you'd already been done. You remember saying that? Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably more than once. Yeah, she probably said it more than once, but I, you know, anyway, and she was right. You know, I, I, I have worked with people that work so hard at doing nothing. Had they just come to work and worked, they could have gone home at lunch and accomplished more. But they, they work so hard at doing nothing. That's what this word busybody means. And the, the, so this church had two types of people in it. They had troublemakers in it, people who were out of step with the, with the word of God. And then those that were busybodies, they were just... They were just fooling around, and they, they, they were not taking the things of God seriously. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 12 to 13, it says, Having damnation, because ye have cast off your first faith. Does that sound familiar? Your first faith, the book of Revelation, the church that lost its first love. Because ye have cast off your first faith, and with all they have... Uh, learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. So what happens to a person who is a busybody? They, 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 they go around doing things that they ought not do, but they, they find themselves getting themselves in trouble. Every culture, just about every culture, <clears throat> has something to say about idleness. So I'm going to give you a couple examples. The Romans used to say this, by doing nothing, men learn to do evil. Let that one sink in. By doing nothing, men learn to do evil. Isaac Watts wrote this, <clears throat> for Satan finds some mischief still. For idle hands to do. And then my favorite, uh, the Jewish rabbis used to teach this. He who does not teach his son a trade teaches him to be a thief. Look at verse 12. <clears throat> now them that are such, we command and exhort you by our Lord Jesus Christ that <clears throat> with quietness they work and eat their own bread. In, or, in other words, what Paul's saying here, look, those of you that are not disorderly, those of you that are not busybodies, you know what? Just, just work. 
just work and reap the reap the fruits of your labors. Just work. I read something recently and I wanted to read it to you because <clears throat> the author of this article uh, I think uh, did a very, very good job of communicating what is going on here in the in the Thessalonian church. He says, <clears throat> churches are like hospitals, full of wounded and sick people, but in the church the sickness is sin, and the wounds are those we inf- inflict uh, upon ourselves and one another because of sin. One sin that causes multitude uh, causes multiple problems is the lack of forgiveness. No Christian is perfect and no pastor or deacon is perfect. When all these in imperf- Im- imperfect people get together, disagreements, hurt feelings, and misunderstandings are inevitable. If our expectations of others are too high, disappointment is inevitable and can cause further feelings of hurt and resentment. Our response to one another should be to forgive one another in kindness and compassion, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. And in Christian love, which covers a multitude of sin, followed by an increased commitment to serve one another, 1 Peter chapter 4. Once we are committed to forgive, love, and serve one another. We will see each other's differences in a new light. But if we react to difference of opinion, particularly those uh, related to non-essential matters, by taking sides and gossiping, the split will widen. More harm will be done to to the church members and our message to the world will be further compromised. He goes on, Ultimately, each local church is made up of individual members, and and how those members live affects how the church functions. Paul admonishes the church at Rome to behave decently in Romans chapter 13. Church members are... Uh, uh, influenced daily by our immoral culture. And one hour a week in church is wholly inadequate to counter the cultural influence. That's why we have church three times a week, by the way. Okay, just saying. Heart transformation is accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is incumbent upon each each believer to diligently follow Christ and to do the work of spiritual growth 
by doing things like regular, regularly reading and studying the Bible, spending time with God in prayer, fellowshipping with other believers outside church, <clears throat> and just sitting together at a Sunday morning church service. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Church attendance is vital, but living the Christian life is much more than merely going to church once a week. And what was happening in the Thessalonian church was division was being caused because there was a group of people that Paul says were disorderly and busybodied. They were out of step. They were busy doing their own thing. And then Paul does something that each of us should do. He reminds them our third point this morning, Paul's example. Paul's example. Look at verse 7. <clears throat> for, for yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Whether, or, excuse me, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail uh, night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. And what Paul's saying here very, very simply is this. Paul had the right to expect compensation from the church of Thessalonica for the work that he had done physically and spiritually. The Bible says that, that, that he labored... Uh, I just lost it. Anyway, you, you know... Um, the laborers do his reward or something. Anyway, I just totally lost it. <clears throat> anyway, Paul here is saying, hey, I deserve to be compensated, but I chose not to because it was more important that I show myself an example to you. He deliberately gave up the right to be an example to believers. The idea is addressed in the qualifications of a pastor. In, in, in Titus chapter 1, verses 7 and 9, it says, For a bishop or a pastor must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, not, uh, no striker, not given to what? Filthy lucre. How, what, how does Paul describe money here? As filthy lucre. But a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, uh, holding fast <clears throat> to the faithful word as he hath uh, been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to 
uh, convince the gainsayers. So the truth here is this. Pastors should be compensated, but a pastor should never, ever let money be the driving force in what he does. I know, I know of pastors that have applied for positions at churches that need pastors. And one of the first questions they ask is, what is the salary? I'm here to tell you, if you're ever in a church that needs a pastor, because the reality is this, Grace Baptist Church is going to go on long before I'm, you know, okay? And if Grace Baptist Church ever needs to hire a pastor and and the, the candidate for the pastor says, hey, what is my salary going to be? Tell him we're not interested. Because that should be the last thing on his mind. And Paul is saying here, look, I wanted to be an example. No man in that church owes me anything. I worked hard. I fed myself. I took bread from no man because I wanted to be an example of what it means to be a hard worker inside the church and outside the church. Question. Does that example need to be an example that stops with the pastor? No. No. Every one of us should be an example to every one of us. We should be setting, setting the, 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 the bar really high for each other. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, uh, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We should be helping each other. We should be examples to each other. So as we work... Inside the church and outside the church, we are examples to other people. I read this earlier from that article, uh, but it said, churches are like hospitals full of wounded and sick people. I believe that. I believe that Grace Baptist Church ought to be a spiritual hospital. Because are we not all kind of messed up in our own ways? Just saying. And we need each other. And we need each other to be healthy so that we can help each other. We need stability in the church. The, the stability means that we have all have to agree on the same thing. No, that doesn't mean that. Just means that we all have the same common goal that we're going to move forward for the cause of Christ. If Grace Baptist Church is going to be a stable, healthy place, it's going to be because we are striving together. Striving together for the cause of Christ. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. 
only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit and in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. This passage that we have here, verses 6 to 12, is a powerful, powerful passage that oftentimes we, we take out of context and we, we throw it around and we use it totally out of context often. But as we close our service this morning, ask God to speak to your heart through it and allow him the opportunity to show you areas in which you need to grow in your own life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And I am so thankful for the Word of God. Because it's the Word of God that changes lives, not the opinions of men. And Lord, I just ask as we bring our service to an end that you would challenge us that you quite possibly could challenge our thinking in some areas, but that you would help us to be more like you. With every head bowed,